I want to, um, oh, sorry, can't be a little bit louder, sorry, scared to laugh at myself. Uh, two things to mention before we kind of go into to God's Word and explore some of this topic of being a mouthpiece for truth and justice tonight. Firstly, um, for all kind of, I hate categorizing, but 18s to 30s, afterwards, downstairs, we are having kind of um, burgers and there's pool tables and table tennis and stuff. So if at any point during the sermon you're thinking, you know, this guy goes on a little bit, dream of burgers, at least. And then you can enjoy yourself afterwards. So please come and join us for that. Um, and the second thing I wanted to share is something from, from my heart. Um, I want to thank you because many of you know Clive. Um, Clive's one of the other pastors of the church. He's recently um, been out of action. He had a TIA, a minor um, stroke recently, and had an operation for that. And has been recovering, and then went to St. Ives um, on holiday. And, and you know when you love a church, and a church becomes your family, when people come up to you and just encourage you. So many of you just come up to me and gone, Ross brilliant job like you know you're holding the fort in that sense and do you know what I've realized over this period of time is whenever I'm in this role and I'm forced to kind of take up the mantle in that respect and step up I realize how utterly reliant my role is on everyone else doing their job it's incredible because I go there and I go on the times when I've forgotten something someone else has remembered it on the time when I've done something horrifically someone else has covered me and I've looked good as a consequence of them making sure they've done their job properly so I'm so grateful to all of you because anything I've been able to do as Clyde's been away has been a consequence of, of, of God's blessing, but also of your help. So thank you. Seriously, I, know that, I don't want that to seem like kind of some insincere thing that's genuine from my heart because I've been so blessed that my family as a church can stand up and, and do that with us. So thank you. I don't know. Most to you lot then is your clapping. <laughs> I drink an awful lot of water during these things. I thought if I ever to preach in an area where water's scarce, I don't think I'd get through a sermon. I'd be drinking the river. I'd be the cause of any water drought as a consequence. So tonight, um, we're going to continue our series entitled Fruitfulness on the Frontline. And what we're exploring is, is essentially the frontline. For those that don't know, let me explain the language. Frontline is... is everywhere out there. It's your everyday context. It's the times in which you come into contact with people who don't have a faith. It's stuff that's outside of the direct church context is your front line. And we're, we're taking this series on from a series we did um, about three months ago in the morning titled Life on the Frontline. And in the evening we looked at frontline parables exploring this concept that the whole of our lives matter to God. And actually what we want to be doing here is not just coming together to worship for the sake of it or or anything like that, but we want to be coming here to be filled up, to be better out there, that we can reach more people out there, that we can make a difference out there. So a lot of this series is about perspective change. Rather than saying, go away and do this, this, and this, we're saying, view what you already do in a different way. Look at the little things you do every day and see them in the light of that truth that everything you do matters to God. Everything we, all of our lives, sorry, matter to God. Not everything we do matters to God, but all of our lives in that sense matter to him. And we've been looking at six M's in particular, asking ourselves, are we being fruitful on the front line? Are we doing these things? Are we modeling godly character? Are we making good work? Are we ministering grace and love? Are we molding culture? Are we being a mouthpiece for truth and justice? And are we being a messenger of the gospel? And this isn't a list that we want you to take away now. If you come here for the first time, you're thinking, God, these guys put a lot of pressure on the people in the church. That's not the aim. The aim is 
that you're probably doing a lot of these things already, but it's acknowledging that and then leaning into what God is already doing. And we want to move beyond seeing a good day for God as you come home and you go, do you know what? I had a really good chat about Jesus today. We were talking about the weather initially, but somehow I managed to get Jesus into the conversation. It was a good day. Not that that's not important. And if you can do that, by the way, getting Jesus into a conversation about the weather, I take my metaphorical hat off to you. That is impressive. I mean more in the sense that we see our our work for God on our front line as broader than just evangelism. It is vital. It is important. But the good work that we do is also important to God. When we mold the culture, the culture being um, the way we do things around here, when we mold that in the context we're in, that is, is, is glorifying God. When we speak for, stand up for truth and justice in our workplaces, at our universities, wherever we are, that is also brings glory to God. Is everyone familiar with the concept? Is that all right? Before we move on, I kind of go for a dialogical approach. So if I do signify some kind of response, feel free to shout back. I'm okay with heckling, um, as long as it's loving. Because <laughs> if it's not, I might say something stupid. Oops. Or trip up on my uh, mixed hands. <laughs> I wonder what people think when they listen to this on the internet afterwards, all these little bits that Ross does. So when I think about truth and justice, <laughs> why did you let me do this, mate? You guys pay me to do this. When I think about truth and justice, I think about my brother. Um, I love my brother. This is a picture of my brother on the screen now and his, his wife from New Zealand. At their wedding, he looks just like me, as you can see. We're identical in every sense. One of us is adopted, I'm not sure which. But um, that's his new wife from, from New Zealand. We had a brilliant wedding at theirs, which was a mix of um, New Zealand hacker and the Scottish Cayley. It was a brilliant mix of these two concepts, these two cultures. So I learned everything about injustice from my brother, because I remember when we were, I was about 12, and I think he was eight years old. And we were living in Colchester at the time. My dad's an army chaplain in good old Essex. And we were, we were kneeling down with our martial art gear on. I can't remember what it's called. But we're on the mats, kneeling down for this presentation. And I'm already nervous, because you know as you're doing anything where you'll show passion in school, everyone's going to take the mick out of you. And I was really passionate about this judo presentation. So we're kneeling down, and these lads behind us, four of those guys that you're wondering really why they're at the school, they're clearly 18. They clearly don't go to any of the classes, and they're clearly just there for the kind of year 11 girls. And, and, and they were sitting behind me, and they were kind of, oi, ginger, ginger, you know, little comments like that about my hair, and poking fun at me. And I'll never forget it. My brother is my absolute hero. He turns around to him, and he goes, oi, that is my big brother you're talking to. My little brother. And I'm sitting there going, where's, shut up, we're going to get heads kicked in. Have you seen these lads? Stands up for injustice against ginger people. My brother, an absolute hero. Another uh, story about injustice and, and truth is, is more relevant to, to our front lines, to that kind of everyday context, is in regards to a friend of mine called Chris. And I've told you this story before. If I have, sorry, but it's, it's, it's such a good story and fits so well with this particular context. Chris works um, for a media and marketing agency. And... And one day he was sitting in his office and the bosses came in and they were saying, you know, they've got this new client. And he heard all the guys laughing and, and joking about it. And he asked, you know, what's, what's the client? And apparently they had taken on a porn client. And the guys were laughing because they were thinking that was funny. They were going to get to look at porn in their, in, their, in their work hours. And Chris just felt this deep conviction, being a Christian, massively disagreeing with porn and the, and the industry, the links it has to sex trafficking and, and, and how it damages us. And he felt so convicted he had to say something about it. So, so he goes to his bosses and he says, look, can we meet up for coffee? They meet up for coffee and he says, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I can't 
be part of this agency if you're going to be promoting pornography. And his bosses go away, they chat about it, and they meet him a couple of days later for a coffee. And they say, Chris, you know, we so appreciate the work you do, the stuff you do here, that we've decided to, to not take on this client. What a testament to God working in that particular context. They so appreciated the good work he did that brought glory to God. They so appreciated his integrity, his living of this godly life, that they were willing to not take on a client that would have made them quite a lot of money. He stood up for justice and truth on his front line. So the question I want to ask is why is justice and truth important? Why is it important for us to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice? Often this gets seen, do you not agree, as a kind of liberal agenda? As I was talking to, I think it was Ellie earlier, was it you that said it? Someone said that to me. And I think that's so important. It can be seen as the stuff that, yeah, but you do that as Christians because you don't want to talk about Jesus. That is not at all what I'm saying. But surely it's a Christian agenda. If we look at the God that we worship, truth and justice should be part of what we're called to do. If you've got your Bibles with you, Matthew 22. It's the new Bibles in the front, if you've got them. If you haven't got one, there should be one around. We're going to kind of flick through different passages today, so make sure you have a Bible. And I will give you the pages as well. It Maybe it's your first time to church and you're unfamiliar with where some of these weird books are. I will give you the links. So Matthew 22, verse 36 um, to 40. And here Jesus is talking to um, some Pharisees and Sadducees. And one of them, these are the religious leaders, the suits of the day. And, um, and one of them is a lawyer. And he, he, he comes to Jesus and he, and he says this. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. This particular passage, these particular commandments are so vital when we come to look at what it means to be mouthpieces for truth and justice. But we'll come back to that in just a second. I want to recommend um, a book because this book has really influenced my thought in the area we're talking about um, tonight. It's by Walter Brueggemann, who's described as this in the back. Walter Brueggemann is one of the most highly regarded Old Testament scholars of our time. Talk show host Krista Tippett has called him a kind of theological rock star. If you get that as your title, a theological rock star, it deserves a read. Walter Brueggemann's written this book, Reality, Grief, and Hope. And what I love about this book is it kind of takes the prophets and puts them in their original context, in their political context, and in their spiritual context. Because I don't know about you, but when I read some of these prophets in, in, in the Old Testament, it's, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Anyone agree? Or do you all just absolutely, yes, thank you, one person, you all actually just love reading the prophets every night. There's so much judgment in there, the language is hard to grasp, is it metaphorical, is it not? I mean, you've got some of the characters, Ezekiel, laying at his side, his left side for 390 days, and his right side for 40 days to make a point that God was wanting him to make, to make a, a prophecy of action, if you like. For 390... Imagine going back to his house for a cup of tea. Where's Ezekiel? Yeah, he's just lying on his side, mate. Been doing it for a long time now. 390 days. And then Isaiah walked around for three years naked. 
I mean, imagine that context. So, David, you can't be smiling a lot of that. Imagine that. Three years naked. I mean, you'd be arrested for a couple of minutes. If I said I've got a prophecy, and by the way, this is how it's acting out, I'd have lost my job in a couple of seconds. They seem quite mental. And yet when you know their political context, when you know why they're doing the things they're doing and why they're saying the things they're saying, suddenly they gain this new perspective and you see the prophets differently. And this book that I was talking about has, has given me this, this excitement when I come to approach the prophets because they are awesome. Some of the stuff they challenge is awesome. Let me explain why. The Old Testament, and I know many of you might know this, but some of you don't, so I want to bring everyone into this conversation. The Old Testament talks about this community, the Israelites, a community that's chosen and blessed by God. It started with Abraham, the patriarch, and then this small community, this small nomadic community, moving around in tents from place to place, were blessed by God. And at the center of this community was their, their tent. This, this tent which was called the tabernacle, the place in which God's presence was meant to dwell. And this tent was important because this is how they would connect with God. They would have priests who would make sacrifices, connecting the people with the God that they love. But then over time, this small community, this nomadic community began to grow. They began to, to grow in power and, and numerically. And they formed what can only be described as a nation, the nation of Israel. At the center of this nation is the temple. They've swapped the tent where God's presence dwelt for this temple. But somewhere along this journey, somewhere along this period of time, they got arrogant. They got prideful. And things began to change in the context and the way they worshipped God. Firstly, they began to forget God. They for- began to forget their one love. Love the Lord your God for your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And they began to live in ways that were contrary to the God that they, they so worshipped, the God that was at the center of their community. So this temple, which should have been the center and presence of God, beca- became a political base for their ideology. They would go to the temple, they would worship, they would do the right sacrifices, they would practice the right purity laws, they would look so good on the outside, they would look awesome, they, they got it right. But yet they would go away and they would oppress. They would go away and everything they did in the temple suddenly became obsolete in their everyday lives. They lived completely contrary to what they were doing in their times of worship. We love you, Jesus. We surrender everything. But yeah, I'm only going to give you a little bit. Malcolm was talking about that earlier in the morning service. We say, I surrender all in our prayers. But yet in the back of our mind, we say, I did it my way. I love that. How often do we find we do that? So they've forgotten God. They'd forgotten the truth, and they'd forgotten to live in the truth. But they'd also forgotten neighbor, because there's this particular, and this is what I think we often forget when we come to look at this story. There's a political context. That as this nation began to get built, and as this temple became the center of everything they did, suddenly the gap between the rich and the poor began to grow. Suddenly the temple stood for ideology, but it also fostered the elite the, the, the rich were able to do their practice, were able to look good, were able to, to maintain this ideology that became exclusive. So if you were marginalized, if you were vulnerable, if you were poor, if you were weak, if you were a woman, if you stood for anything else in, in these kind of categories, if you were a neighbor, you were pushed to the side. So suddenly, what was pure and what was beautiful, what was a relationship with God, became something very corrupt, something that marginalized others and separated the vulnerable and the weak from being able to worship God in relationship with him. They've forgotten God. They've forgotten their neighbor. Love the Lord your God for your heart, for your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And this is where the prophets come in. 
Because the prophets called by God come in and they challenge the Israelite people and call them back to that truth. Love the Lord your God for your heart, for your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God. Speak for truth. Stand for truth. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stand for justice. Do you see where I'm going with this? Are we being a mouthpiece for truth and for justice? So it's these two things that were so important to him. So again, if you've got your Bibles, we'll look at some more passages that feed into this. Because the prophets stood for truth. They wanted to call the people back to love their God and to live in the truth. If you've got your Bibles with you, Isaiah 30, verse 9 to 13. I will give page numbers. 715 if you're using the Bibles in front of you. Isaiah 39 to 13. It says this, For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, See no more visions. And to the prophets, Give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave us this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because of you have rejected this message, relied on imp- oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. They didn't want the challenge of the prophets. These prophets were telling them truth. They didn't want the truth. They wanted lies. Lies were comfortable. Lies meant they could continue hiding all of this deceit and oppression that they so loved because on the outside they looked so good. Jeremiah 5, verse 1 to 3, page 761. A lot of this stuff like God is talking to the people in some of the language. So it says this, Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. Although they say, surely as the Lord lives, still they are swearing falsely. Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The prophets stood for truth to call the Israelite people, this community, back to the one God that they love, the truth, and to follow him in the truth, leaving their sinful lives behind. And they call them for justice, to stand against injustice, to love their neighbor as themselves. Isaiah 1, verse 1, sorry, 16 to 17. That's great. If I could have the next slide, that'd be great, Tom. Cheers, matey. Isaiah 1, verse 16 to 17, it says this. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Amos 5 verse 24. I am just literally flowing through them. I think they paint a picture. That's part of the reason. And also I talk rubbish. So if I started putting... I'm doing it now. Amos 5 verse 24. (laughs) But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. 
and Hosea 12, verse 6. That's page 909. It says this, But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. So these prophets called the Israelite people back to truth, to love the Lord their God for their heart, for their soul, with all their mind, to live in the truth, but also back to justice, to love their neighbor as themselves. And you may think, well, Ross, you're talking a lot about the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Isn't that what you love most about Jesus? That he comes in and he, he tells people the truth. He calls people to remember his father. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Live how I'm living. Why? Because I'm following him. I'm doing what he told me to do. I, I do what he says. Follow me. Follow my life. Follow in the truth. Follow this kingdom of God in which we aim to enter this adventure where we see heaven met on earth in small ways. In the darkness, we see light shine. Follow me because I follow the Father. He calls us to walk in the truth. He calls us to him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he also stands up against injustice. And the more I read the Gospels, the more the stories that move me, more than anything else, more than the miracle stories, the walking on water, it's the moments he, he stands up for women, actually. That's what moves me most about the Gospels. I've done so many narrative sermons on the way Jesus treats women because there's something so beautiful about women that would have been considered second-class citizens as lesser than men, and yet he stands up for them, he defends them, he lifts them up in front of everyone, in front of all these men that would have been holy and righteous and got it right, and he says, no. Do you know who's getting it right in this context? This woman who you're considering an adulterer that you want to stone. He defends her. He defends a Samaritan woman. A woman, or he has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. He shouldn't be having that conversation. Jews and Samaritans don't like each other. Not only is she a Samaritan, she's considered an adulterer, and she's a woman. But yet he engages her. He spends time with her. I love that about Jesus. He stands up for injustice. He stands up for the poor, the weak, and the vulnerable. That's why he gets his reputation. That's why people don't like him. What are you doing amongst these people, Jesus? Come and hang out with us. We've got the good wine, mate. We get things right. These guys don't get it right. And yet he spent time with those that were marginalized. He broke down those barriers. He spent time with the poor. So why is justice and truth important? Why are we to be mouthpieces for truth and justice? Because we worship a God of truth and justice. We worship a God who calls us beyond all the, all the rubbish we can sometimes put around our faith, all the institutional practices we can so readily enjoy. He calls us to remember two truths. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Strive for truth, strive for justice. So are you standing for truth and justice? Are you being a mouthpiece for truth and justice in your front line? That moment when you're at work and, and there's that guy. That guy is a little bit weird, if you're honest. No one really gets him. And you're always in fun conversations. You, you, you're joking around, you're laughing, and he comes over and he always makes things a little bit awkward. The guy that they kind of laugh about and joke about, he's just Jim. Yeah, Jim, oh, he's so weird, isn't he, man? He's weird. Are you standing up for him in those conversations where he's being ostracized? Are you, are you going, actually, guys, that's not right. What's wrong with Jim? What about that Muslim family that's down the road that you know they've had a, a stone thrown through their house because they're Muslims, because of their faith and their religion? Are we standing up for those who are marginalized as a consequence of their belief? You know, Baptists, one of the things that define Baptists is they stood up for religious freedom, regardless of religion. Are you standing up for others? What about that mate you know who, 
who constantly talks about, he's married, he constantly talks about another woman, or a woman who's married and constantly talks about another guy, wants to have an affair, are you willing to challenge them in that difficult conversation to say, what about your wife? What about your husband? Don't you love them? What about a local shop that you know sells clothes that have got links back to the sex trafficking and trade? What about those shops in which you know that some of their practices are quite unethical? Are you still feeding into them by shopping there? Are you still being involved in that? What about that friend of yours who's transgender and actually has been ostracized by other friends? Are you standing up for them? Are we being mouthpieces for truth and justice? Are we standing up for people that God loves? Are we standing up for the truth? I think sometimes we can desire so much to define our faith and everything we believe in and being nice. You know, oh yeah, you know, you know, Rossi, he's a nice guy. But I don't know about you, if I get to end my life and that's what I'm known for, for being a nice guy, it sucks a little bit, doesn't it really? I've been over standing up for truth and justice, for making a difference in this world. What about you? in those contexts you're in every day at university at at work whoever it's amongst wherever it is at your local leisure centre at your supermarket even that you have a reputation because you're someone who defends others you're someone who stands up for the cause of truth and justice let's pray Father, I pray that as, as we go out this week, um, as we leave this building for, for whatever we do tomorrow, that you will open our eyes to the injustices around us. That they won't be covered or masked by the things we've been brought up to believe. But that you will open our eyes to where your people are hurting. You will open our eyes to where lies are being soiled. And you will give us the courage in those moments where we feel a deep conviction inside us when your spirit challenges us to stand for truth and justice. May we speak out. And may as we as your people, the church, not just be known for being nice, but be known for standing up for others, for speaking the truth in love. We long to see Plymouth changed and transformed by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.